0: Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we'll check in with Mike Iliano, the GM of Team 23. Team 23 was one of the finalists in TBT last year and is gearing up for another run at a championship in 2016. If you haven't heard, TBT's announced its 2016 plans, by the way. $2 million, winner takes all. $200,000 are going to go to the fans of the winning team. For more information, check out thetournament.com. Remember, if you're listening on iTunes, you can subscribe to TBT's podcast by hitting that little subscribe button in the top right-hand corner. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a rating and a review. It'll help spread the word. Thanks. Hey, Mike. How are you doing, Dan? I'm great. How are you doing?
1: Good. Just walking around in sunny Arizona.
0: Yeah, it beats being up in the northeast in the cold. Absolutely. You're a Northeastern guy originally. I think you're from the New York area, right?
1: Yeah, I, I was born in Brooklyn, but I grew up in Jersey, in central Jersey, Edison, New Jersey.
0: I want to get into how you ended up out in the desert uh, in a little point, but I was actually interested to talk to you, Mike, because one thing that I've been replaying in my mind since the end of that championship game was the scene in the locker room after Team 23 lost. And I went down there to you know, congratulate you guys for a great run and um, you know, share some of our thoughts about how well the team had done and uh it was really i don't know almost emotionally overwhelming to see how um hard the team had taken it and I was wondering if you can kind of take us into and take the listeners into that locker room and what that was like to lose that winner take all game.
1: I could take you what it was through what it was like for me, yeah for me. I went down in the locker room. It didn't sink in at the buzzer, but when I went down the locker room and I looked at their faces within 30 seconds, I had to walk out the locker room because I myself was in tears. And, and it, it was, it was hard to handle. And I think the reason why, and I remember I had friends and family there. I broke down and. I'm sobbing and I'm telling them, I'm like, you just don't understand how much hard work those guys put into it. You know, all, all the practices, all the sneaking in the hotel conference rooms. <laughs> I mean, you know, at midnight to game plan for, for teams, they were just so dedicated, you know, to show how good they were because a lot of those guys never really got the chance. So I think it was the culmination of all their hard work just kind of felt like it went down the drain, you know?
0: When I was in there, I can't remember who it was. One of the players, I remember, was actually sitting in the locker, you know, and just couldn't even really look up. Um, And, you know, just being a neutral party, it was really hard to see that. I think if I was in your shoes, I, I probably would have done the same thing, Mike, and had to turn around and walk out. I mean, it was really just an emotional... Um, ending to what really was an incredible run, and in the way that you all kind of came together um, very unexpectedly to us, but doesn't sound like it would have been unexpected to you.
1: Uh, I mean, I'd lie if I say it wasn't unexpected. I mean, because you know what those guys can do, but you know, you're doing a nationwide tournament, and you have no idea how it's going to measure against nationwide players. I I knew that they were long, they were defensive. And I knew how good Davin was. I, I had an idea when we beat Colorado. Like when we beat Colorado, it kind of set this tone like, you know, we got a real shot to make a run here.
0: Yeah, and for those that don't remember, Colorado was one of the top seeds in that West region last year. It was a team of Colorado alumni. Really a loaded team. And you guys just came out and you know kind of ran the doors off, played great defense. It was really impressive to see that. Was that the first time that you had seen the team play? Uh, as a cohesive unit, or had this group gotten together before
1: uh we'd gotten together uh together sporadically to practice, but that was the first time where we took upon a challenge you know i I know for for about two weeks before that game, there was a lot of game planning. I'd call Larry Owens up and I would say, "Listen, this is what we have to do against Richard Roby. All you kept hearing was Richard Roby, and it was it was a point of emphasis for me. But the the guys, they're so good that it's almost like you don't need to tell them anything. They're so self-reliant, if you will.
0: That was one of the things that stood out to me about the team in general, was that you did have a lot of guys that have been through some tough things and have really had to work to get to where they are now and where they were in basketball. Did that stand out to you? And was that something that you were trying to build upon when you were actually organizing the team to start with?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a believer in high character guys. I think that, you know, it's kind of like a mistake that happens in the NBA draft is you worry about these guys, 18, 19 years old, when you should just be looking for people who are mature winners. Because so many guys are on an even talent level, but it's, there's certain guys that have it factors and that group of guys that I had, they had an it factor.
0: How do you spot that? Like, what are you looking for when you, when you, we'll get into how you met all these guys and stuff, but how, what are you looking for when you look for that sort of high character element? Well, you, you know, you
1: you could tell, I mean, Larry Owens, he's he's my personal favorite. I'll just say it outright. Probably shouldn't say that. (laughs) Sure. He
0: appreciates it.
1: (laughs) You know, actually, to change back to a subject you previously asked about how hard it was when we lost, The Ultimate memory that I have, the most devastating one, was when we got back to the hotel, I walked into one elevator, Larry walked into the other, and it was kind of like one of those movie scenes where the door closes on me and on him. And we just had this like telekinesis of like, don't say anything, but we knew how hard it was. And that image of him with the elevator door closing is the one that sticks in my head the most.
0: Well, how, did you talk to him about it since? Or have you talked to him? You must have been talking to the guy since, I'm sure. But does that subject of the championship game come up when you do talk to him?
1: It does. I mean, you know, th- those guys, they don't harp. I mean, they're built like pros. They just want to get back on the horse and try it again. I mean, you know, what, what can you do? You can't harp over it. And I mean,. Overseas Elite was a fantastic basketball team.
0: So have you guys communicated since the announcement about the 2016 plans? Yes. What are they all saying?
1: They're excited. I mean, you know, I I don't want them to make the mistake of thinking because we were two points away that there's a guarantee you're getting back to that spot. But I think the makeup of guys that I have understand it's one game at a time process.
0: Let's get into your background a little bit, Mike. You said you were born in Brooklyn and grew up in New Jersey, but you're a Bulls fan. And that's actually why the team is named Team 23. It's named after Jordan's number. How did that whole thing come about? How did you end up being a Bulls fan from New York?
1: You know, I guess you're a Boston guy, so maybe you can understand that. When you grow up in New York and you're around New Yorkers, you tend to deal with the obnoxiousness of New York. (laughs) So, I guess I've always kind of been a rebellious personality. My mom used to work right across the street from Madison Square Garden for 20 years. And I hated the Knicks. I thought the Knicks were goons. You know, I look back now and I have total respect for the
0: Knicks. This is the 90s Knicks where they were, I think it was... um... Yes like John Starks is on Anthony the team, Mason. Anthony Mason. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I just, you know, anyone that watched Jordan, much like the people who watch LeBron James today, it, it transcends an error. So to me, it was like, what am I watching? This guy is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. So I guess it kind of started 10, 11 years old. I mean, 1990, 91. And it kind of just morphed into an obsession.
0: And so from that point, you know, you are a Jordan fan throughout all of your basketball career. Did you ever get into any other teams, or was it more just you're a Jordan guy, and whatever he does, you're going to follow? Like, did you actually root I for only, the Wizards when he was with the Wizards? I
1: rooted for him with the Wizards because the Bulls were just awful at that time. But I, I I tend to stay a Bulls fan, as frustrating as that might be. I, I tend to never stray from the
0: Bulls. So... When you actually got to Chicago, when Team 23 made it to the um, last year called the Super 17 in Chicago, you took the whole team to a field trip over to the United States. Yes, right? Can you tell us about that? Yes.
1: Yeah, it was something that actually meant a lot to me. Uh, I've never been to Chicago, oddly, and I wanted to get a group photo of us at the Jordan statue. So we all kind of made it a thing where we go there and Make sure the guys pay their respects. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's not dead. <laughs>
1: and I, I have a whole slew of group photos, and you know, I, and you could tell, like, the, the guys liked it. I mean, they may not have liked it as much as I did, but it, it was a cool field trip.
0: What's your What's your background in the game like? I mean, did you work in the game? Did, were you just a fan? You know, how did you end up getting involved in, in basketball?
1: I was just always one of those those kids in the 90s, pre-internet, that, you know, I'd wait for the paper, I'd log stats, like I'd make my own notebooks. I was just always into the analytical side of, of basketball. And I guess when I moved out here, I started seeing that there's a culture of very good players out here that people really don't know about. I mean, the list is endless. So I started getting involved. I said, you know, first I started playing, but I'm terrible. You know, then I started putting teams in with a buddy of mine, and it kind of just morphed into this thing. And then I met Gabe Sandoval through the Pro-Am, and he kind of opened a lot of doors. So it, it's just something that has morphed over a four-year span, and I'm kind of a very personable person, and so so people tend to gravitate toward it.
0: So you were able through the work with the uh, Pro-Am there in Phoenix to kind of bring together some of the best players that you've seen over the years playing out there.
1: Yeah, not just the Pro-Am. I mean, there's a lot of local tournaments. I mean, people don't realize that Native American hoops is a big thing out here, so they sponsor a lot of tournaments. So after a while, you just see a lot of the same faces. And then in the summertime, the guys who are playing pro come home, and you all just kind of get to know each other.
0: And so Dovin White was one that stood out to you from the beginning as as being one of the key guys for your team, right?
1: Yeah, Dovin helped Ronnie and a group of guys win a twenty five k tournament in New York some years back, and and Dovin has always been a guy. He comes home in the summer, he put, he'll play in the pro am. He's soft spoken, keeps himself in shape. You know, I, I'd lie if I said I thought he was that good. <laughs> like I mean he was he was like Stephen Curry.
0: He really was for, for
1: one spam there.
0: Had you seen him play that well for that long a period of time before
1: I you know the problem is is that when you do like the city leagues and the stuff like that is those guys are not going at a hundred percent. So you see them in keep, keep in shape mode. So to see him in that tournament was like unbelievable to me because it's like this is what this guy does overseas. I started thinking to myself, how flawed is the system of basketball
0: if they can't see how good he is? Tell, tell me more about that. What do you mean?
1: You know, I, I I look at guys like him and I look at guys like Larry, and I just don't understand why they're not getting knocks on their doors from big European clubs from NBA clubs. I just don't get it. I just, I seem to think that Europe has a fascination that American players have to do what they want them to do instead of kind of building around what certain guys' skill sets are.
0: So relate that to what you saw from Davin last summer. Uh, In in what way? Well, when you say that, they're trying to fit pieces of, of uh, I guess, pit players into a puzzle, essentially, without really thinking about whether the puzzle is the right fit for the player. And it sounds like what you're saying is maybe Daven's a lot more of a dynamic scorer shooter than maybe he's been given the opportunity to to show. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Basically, if, if you turn around and you looked at Daven on Eurobasket, which is something that I follow his team on Eurobasket, I can't get the live feeds of the game, but I'll at least look at the box scores and have an idea. And you could tell that there's not enough minutes he's being given. You just have this idea that he might not have the playmaking responsibility he should have. And Europe seems to have a culture that they love their European guards and to give an American guard, those reigns is something that they have a hard time detaching from.
0: That's interesting. And then, so, you know, kind of following that to the next step is that you get a guy like Davin back in the U S in an environment where it's highest stakes possible. And yeah. given the ball, and then you get what you had last summer, which is just, I mean, truly just an amazing performance. It was game in and game out. It was 20 plus points. It was re- unbelievable.
1: I mean, how much more do you talk about it if we win that tournament?
0: Right. Well, imagine just if the ball had gotten to him on the final possession, you know, and, and oh. he had drained the three to <laughs> to tie it. I mean, I think you look at that and say, you know, that's a performance, a tournament performance of any tournament in the history of, the world of basketball I, for the ages. I mean, it's just how could you have had seven better games than that?
1: I, I know. And don't think we don't think about the ball not being in his hands at that moment. And we, we had no timeouts. You know, it happens. It's a broken play. You're happy to be in that situation down two after being down six. I mean, I don't know. It, it eats at me for sure.
0: Let's talk about the composition of the team a little bit. One thing that was really interesting, you know, um, you know, you were the GM and I think played sort of a backseat role as the actual game was going on. Ronnie was the coach out in the court, really emotional. We had the mic on him on several of the games and seemed to really fire the guys up. It seemed like there was a lot of player participation, though, in sort of the diagramming of what plays you were going to run and things of that sort. Was that was what was actually going on, or was that just our perception?
1: No, no, that that is exactly what was going on. I mean, I think me and Ronnie took more of a game management role. I mean, neither of us are Pat Riley. We're not going to diagram plays for pros. I mean, they know what they're doing. So it became more of a game management role in a third eye situation. And that was kind of the understanding of it at the beginning. And like I said, those guys are so self-reliant. I mean, to get that far without someone dictating that to them is even more of a testament to how good they were. What
0: do you think of that? Do you think that there's something to that way of actually allowing a team to perform when when you know and trust the professionals to figure out what to do? You know, it's
1: funny you say that because I was having this discussion today in relative to the NBA, and I tend to think that it's the new philosophy of coaching. I think that guys like Steve Kerr and Luke Walton, I mean, you could tell that there's more of a hands-off approach. If you have a good GM that puts a good team together, of good players that trust each other, then, you know, I'm not going to say you don't need a coach, you need a coach. But I I just think it's a new way of thinking.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, it seems to me like that was what was going on with you guys last summer, definitely with Overseas Elite uh, throughout. It seemed like that was what was going on with them as well. And it's, it's interesting that you make the analogy to what the Warriors are doing now because it does seem like they just kind of have this ability to all know exactly what they're doing. I do think there's a lot of coaching that goes on, particularly with that team, uh, in practice, you know, it's not just to show up and shoot around and then we're gone. They do a lot of no, practicing. No, but, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. The same
1: thing with us. I mean, we were practicing like madmen, but the thing is that the efficiency of those guys and the understanding makes the
0: practices so much easier. What kind of drilling and practicing were you guys doing?
1: Uh,. Running a lot of plays and sets. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what sort of plays we were running. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we would scrimmage five or six good local players. I mean, we had referees and a clock. And, you know, we took it pretty seriously.
0: Do you think that helped? Or how much do you think that helped? Clearly, it must have. But how much do you think that helped compared to what some of the other teams might have done?
1: I think it helped immensely. I think when you couple it with their attitude, with their general professional conditioning, because we were very well conditioned, and the practice, like the whole triangle of it just made for this really interesting dynamic.
0: Um, One of the things I was going to ask you I thought was interesting is that you're a huge basketball fan, and I think it seems to me from what I saw last year that you're a real student of the game and you study it quite a bit. One of the things that happened is that on the Sunday game in the West last year when you guys beat uh, Team B-Ball Breakdown, you went up to Coach Nick and were very, um, I don't know what the, it was sort of like you were approaching this guy that you've seen on TV for a long time and you just wanted to introduce yourself to him. What was that interaction like when you actually met Coach Nick?
1: You know, it's funny because me and Coach Nick will still text back and forth and I'm like a kid in the candy store with Coach Nick. I think Coach Nick is the exact type of personality that needs to be involved in basketball. He's analytical but he's old school. He he's he's a very good mind and if you haven't watched his videos, basketball breakdown, I highly recommend. I mean he he did one recently about how the Warriors get a lot of their threes from the post, which is a misconception. People think that they get them all on the on the perimeter off dribble drive and that's not the case. I mean he, he just he's a student of the game so when I first saw him before that game, pre-game, I walked up to him, and, you know, I, I, I was kind of like a fan. I was like, it, you know, I'm a real fan of you. This is, like, an honor to me, and I wish you luck. And, you know, he he's from Chicago, and he's a bold guy. So he kind of, like, jokingly said to me, you know, there's only one Team 23 in this tournament, and that's us. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew that.
0: I didn't hear that before. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, you know, he said it in, like, you know, in a playful manner. And, yeah. and after the game, after we beat them, and I had an immense amount of respect for his team, I actually thought his team was good enough to be in the Super 16. And, you know, I, I saw him packing up his gear in the car after the game, and I'm like, I got to get his number. Like, he just seems like, like he's me. <laughs> and he was so friendly and receptive, and he likes to talk basketball. And to me, I love having people like that around. So to me, the whole experience was just great.
0: So you've actually struck up a friendship with him subsequent to that?
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, every, every couple of weeks, I'll send him a text or he'll send me a text. I mean, he even said to me after the game, because you guys had a great team after we lost in the championship. He was nice enough to contact me. You guys had a great team. It's a shame you couldn't get the ball in Davin Pans. I'm like, yeah, it is what it is.
0: What other teams were like that that maybe you saw some guys playing that you had never seen before or coaches or anything like that? Were there any other teams that you were really sort of interested as a fan to watch last year?
1: Last year? How about I'm still watching those games on film right now?
0: <laughs> are, you, are you? Is that true? You are actually doing that?
1: I was doing it early this morning. I was watching Liberty Ballers versus Bayheim's Army. <laughs> what
0: did you think of that game? That was the one... The Liberty Ballers versus Bayheim was the one on Friday, I think, right? Yeah. That was a really good game. Very hard-fought game. Yeah.
1: I, I tend to watch them in cycles, and then after that, I watched the Ants versus Notre Dame. Uh, I was very impressed with, with Notre Dame. I mean, people don't understand how good that team was. I, I have an immense amount of respect for players like Eric Atkins, who pick up full court, which is a lost art to me. So if he's listening, Eric Atkins, you're a hell of a defensive player. (laughs) I mean, you know, there's so many good players in your tournament, and there's so much organization that I wouldn't even know where to begin.
0: Well, what was one of the things, like, I guess we should start at the beginning. How did you find out about TPT, and what made you want to actually jump in? I
1: threw a Facebook post, and and I thought it wasn't real. I'm sure you guys get that a lot. Yeah,
0: all the time. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think I asked Jesse like three or four times. I'm like, "This isn't BS, is it?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> there does ex- there does seem to be a uh, well. I think we're over it now. You know, having yeah our third one, but it, there did seem to be a lot of skepticism, certainly in year one, and then it kind of renewed itself a little bit last year because we expanded nationally. But I think now that people have seen it, there's no question that it's out there and it's it's something real for people to look forward to. So you get this Facebook post and and you um. You decide that you want to it, it, look into it.
1: Yeah, it almost looked like a generic advertisement. You know? <laughs> so I looked into it. I knew guys. You know, there's another group from Arizona doing it. Uh, the Arizona Sharpshooters. By the way, they uh, they had a good team. There's a lo- lot of good players. You know, they, they ran into a good NWA team in the first round. And it, it just kind of morphed. You know, I I called you guys up. I started sending feelers out. And it actually was a slow process because the players, I don't think, thought it was real either. I had to convince them.
0: So you had to convince them that this is worth heading out to LA for for the weekend? Yeah,
1: I mean, I I think once you go to your website and you see how you guys are organized, it becomes an easy sell. But, you know, there was a couple of players I asked that wouldn't respond because I just don't think they understood how serious it was. And it's funny, those same players are now contacting
0: me this year. Guys that you wanted? Yes, guys I wanted. So what are you saying to them? Well, (laughs) if it fits,
1: I mean, we have a very interesting dynamic. You know, I, I told you earlier I got a phone call.
0: Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that. You got a, This is just today. I think you got an interesting yeah. phone call, right?
1: Yeah, I did. I got an interesting phone call from an ex-NFL player. And, you know, he, he was really nice to us when we went out to Chicago. And he said, I got some pros that are, you know, possibly willing to play with you guys. So he tells me about Sean Marion and Navi Muhammad. And that's tough for me as a Bulls fan. So, you know, Navi Muhammad was on the Bulls like the last five years. Mm-hmm. And I said no. <laughs> <That's> cr- <laughs> I'm the only one of these GMs that says no to how does that.
0: that? So how does that, how does that make you feel?
1: Unique. Because what Team 23 represents is not an alumni, a player. It's not a grouping of former pros. It's kind of like counterculture. It's guys who I know are good enough to play with those names. That they just need the opportunity to do it. So, And, 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 and I told this ex-NFL star, I told them, I said, I have the immense, Respect for those guys. I said, but those guys, what is their motivation to do this? You know, they'll probably hear this and then they'll kill us by 20 in the tournament. But, you know, what is their motivation? I mean, putting food on the table is not the motivation.
0: So you'd rather just go with the guys that you have, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not sell out. What's the? I, I mean, strong words, but
0: yeah, the truth. No, I mean, I, I, I the, we hear that a lot, and I think that one of the beauties of the tournament and the way that it's structured is that teams can do whatever they want. So, if you want to run a team the way that you're doing it, and you know, essentially, like you said, sort of be a little counterculture and provide opportunities to guys that you know can play that maybe haven't had the opportunity. You do that. You want to do an alumni team? You do that. You want to do a yeah. team of ex NBA guys? You know, you can do that too. I mean, it's open literally to everybody. So, that's one of the beauties of the event. I think, you know, your own self-determination is really what it's all about in a lot of different and ways.
1: There's also a dynamic where it might not be fair to those NBA players to ask those guys who have been through wars on an NBA court to come in and respect our culture. It's like, who are we? <laughs> like, they're pros. Right? So th- there's, there's that dynamic, too. Like People tend to not think about the human element of it.
0: Well, how important was that to the success of Team 23 last year? Aside from the X's and O's it, of it, how important was that, do you think, last year, the, the nature of the way that the team came together?
1: It was huge. It was the single most important aspect of the team. I mean, yeah, in the embodiment of that was Augustine, which we haven't even spoken about. I mean, he was the embodiment of the human element, human spirit. Can you go into that? you look at a guy like that. Go
0: into the background with him, Mike, if you can, and and kind of explain why you're saying that.
1: You know, he's just one of those guys. I didn't know him. One of the players showed me a video of him. I I said to to Travis Gabbard, and I said, we need a guy that's going to be a backline rim protector. And he goes, I got a guy. He showed me video, and I was blown away at the video. I Googled him, saw he played at Seton Hall, my neck of the woods, at a time that I knew Seton Hall had a lot of turmoil, and they weren't giving him any playing time. And the minute I saw him play and I saw him move his feet, I was blown away. And then you get to speak to him as a person. You know, we were in Chicago. We were sharing stories. You know, I had an illness, and he was sharing a story with with me about what it was like in his country. You just kind of bond with people, like you know, he he he's a total hum- he's a humble guy, and he's a hard worker on the court. So it just it was a perfect match for us.
0: Did you want to get into Mike? Can we talk about the illness that you had?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it's some, the biggest thing in the world. I, I had kidney cancer, renal carcinoma. A while back, I was diagnosed with it. I had it surgically removed. I have to have it monitored every six months for about five years, but everything seems to be fine now.
0: And you, you know, were t- you were telling there was me- the,
1: the initial panic.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, anytime you have that word, uh, carcinoma or cancer of any kind referenced, it's going to be serious. And you had told me, I think, last year that in a lot of ways, the um, organizing of this team, kind of making the run that you did was an opportunity for you to think about something else and not be concerned about it. Is that is that am I interpreting that right? We're remembering it, right?
1: Dan, it brought me back to life. I mean, what you guys did—it it, was—it was the greatest thing. I mean, I was laying in a hospital bed for three days. I mean, I looked like Frankenstein. I had stump staples all over my stomach. I, you know, I it took me a while to like walk, and this gave me the energy to like get up and go again. It was a couple of months removed from my surgery. I was probably still a little depressed about it. And it made me forget about it. it Give me something new to be depressed
0: about. <laughs> You're funny. So, Mike, I was curious. What's the plan for 2016? What do you guys have on stack?
1: <laughs> to win. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some same faces, some new faces. I won't name names. I mean, you know, you don't show your cards yet, April 1st. Uh, We're going to be more organized this year. I'm way more organized into the voting. I know you guys said that the final four teams only have to get 200 votes. And I just, to me, that's disrespectful to the process because I have so much respect for what you guys are doing. And on top of it, I want people that I like to win money if we win, so I have some ideas to try to get two two to five thousand votes
0: well, one of the things that is really apparent whenever we post something on Facebook about team twenty three or davin White or you know basically anything about your team is the reception is really strong and it there it does seem to be a community and it probably it built I guess as you guys were making the run to the championship game last year but it really is impressive how many people seem to know about this team. Are you noticing really? that? Yeah. Are you noticing that when you're on Facebook? You know, I know in Arizona
1: we were a thing. I mean, buddy of mine, Ryan Little, name dropped. He had a like a party with a whole bunch of pro-am guys. They all sat down and watched the championship game. Uh, you know, I noticed it out here. I didn't know it was a nationwide thing.
0: Yeah, it's real. honestly, the numbers are really interesting, uh, and especially in light of, I think, where you guys started in terms of your fan group and how many votes you had. The numbers of what I see, anyway, are really impressive, and it seems like there is a lot of interest in this, and I think it's it's going to be really, I think, encouraging for a lot of your friends and family to see, hopefully, how far this team has come in terms of awareness and voting this year. And then the other thing that you have going for you, too, is if you hit that 2000 number by July 8th, you're going to be able to add a ringer. Have you thought about that at all?
1: Yeah, I have. I'm, I'm very on the fence with that because for the same reason, I may not want to bring a pro in, you know, you're, you're playing two games in LA. Let's just say you win those two games and now you bring a ringer in and we're such a chemistry based team that I'm not sure if that rule benefits us. Interesting. And you know, and and I don't know if you guys have thought about this. I, I was thinking about one situation with with seven out. I don't think Marcus Banks played a game in the regional, and he came and he played against us, and you could just tell like you know they were much better than you know when when they had a cohesiveness.
0: Well, I mean, they had a team that seven outs team that beat the Grantland team, number number one seed with a lot of talent on that squad, Mike Bibby and Scalabrini, and um. Reggie Moore, I think, who went to Washington, I believe. But it was really amazing when you saw that they took the ball out of Drew Lavender's hands and into Marcus Banks, and then they lost. And I think you guys, I mean, I want to say you blew them out, didn't you? Yeah, I think it was by 40. All due respect to that team. No, and they were a great team. But you're right. I mean, sometimes adding, and nothing against Marcus Banks at all, but sometimes you add one person to a mix, and it becomes uh, a little bit more volatile. And it can either go way yeah. up or way down, and in that circumstance, it looked like it hurt, but that's interesting what you say about adding a adding a ringer or not adding a ringer. Um, I guess it depends on how you define it. you know if you have someone that is just going to be a role player for you, uh, it's not a ringer in the percent in the sense that it's someone that's going to come in and win a game, but it is someone that's going to come in and help you
1: yeah and and the funny thing is i mean th- there's there's balances because you don't want to overmax by trying to get a ringer. But then when you lose, kind of like the way we did, you know that improvements need to be made. So you kind of have to find that right balance.
0: Right, right. So it looks like you're ready to hit the ground running on April
1: 1. I'm ready right now. (laughs) Sign me up.
0: (laughs) This has been great, Mike. I really appreciate your time. Let's touch base again soon. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Team 23 back in the tournament this year. Thank you, Dan. All right. Thanks, Mike.